Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henn. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Luke chapter 19, verse 45 to chapter 20, verse 8 is our text tonight. And the message is entitled, The Authority of Jesus. The Authority of Jesus. Verse 45. And he, that is Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of what? Of robbers. Well, Jesus, when he began his ministry back in John chapter 2, he went into the temple and, and, and cleansed it of what was going on there. And so here in this passage, we see Jesus entering into the temple again three years later and cleansing the temple once again of what was happening in there and cleaning out the house so to speak. Now, we don't um, go to a physical temple today like Jesus did. We are the temple, the Bible says, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God actually resides in us. It's not physical stones, but we are living stones. And so by the blood of Christ, Christ's blood washes away our sin, but then in its place, Christ puts his righteousness, his perfection, and so then the Holy Spirit is able to dwell within us. What an amazing truth, right? What an amazing mystery. What a, what a powerful truth that God's presence and power is in us, is with us always, whether we feel it or not, it is there for us to access. Well, Jesus went in here to cleanse the temple, and, and listen, uh, the truth of the matter is the spiritual battle is not a one-time thing, is it? I mean, he cleansed it three years ago, he's back, they're back in there, he's got to clean it out again, and and that's the way our spiritual battle is too. You know, we, we, we can't just clean out our house, you know, one time. <laughs> we have to do it over and over again. Well, what specifically was going on here that Jesus calls them a, a den of robbers? Well, what was happening is the people were coming for Passover, for the Passover celebration. Remember, we talked about that last week. And they were bringing their lambs in order to sacrifice them at Passover, and so they would bring their lambs to be inspected by a priest, and the priest would look at their lamb, and he would find some defect with their lamb, some problem, and he'd say, you know what, yeah, you, you, you can't offer that, that, that animal here, it's not perfect enough, but hey, don't worry, no problem, we got you covered. We got some pre-approved lambs right over here in this lot, and, and they're all perfect, they're ready to go. And, and they're triple the price, you know. So, so listen, we got you covered. Go over there and, and buy one of those in order to, you know, meet with God, in order to worship with God. Go get one of those. And so they go over to get one of those, and they, they begin to take out their money to pay for this 
pre-approved lamb, and the guy there goes, hey, you know what? We don't take that money here. Uh, listen, you got to go over and, and get the temple currency. There, those tables over there, those money changers over there, take your money over there and, and get the currency that works here at the temple. Your money is not holy enough, and so you need to go get it exchanged. And so they would go over to the money changers, and then they would just rake people over the coals with the exchange rate that they took from them. So they were getting them both ways, overpriced animals, you know, and then in the exchange rate, gaining a profit. And remember, we said last week that there were two and a half million people in Jerusalem. So we're talking big time money. And so the people of God were being ripped off in the name of God. And so Jesus sees this and he comes unglued in a holy way. And he turns over all the tables and he, he drives out the money changers who were abusing the temple of God. That is, you know, meek and mild Jesus got serious. He got angry. That is, you know what, church? Christianity is not just about being nice. Where did we get that? Yes, we're to love people but we're also to speak the truth. And so listen, if you love God, you're going to hate sin. And if you love people, you're going to hate any evil coming after them. And you're going to hate any evil people looking to use them or manipulate them. Now, I understand that, you know, we shouldn't be jerks. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be unthoughtful, you know. We, we shouldn't be unkind. But listen, godliness at times, and so listen, we need to be prayerful. Hear me. We need to be spirit-filled. We need to make sure that we are operating from a full heart of love, that our intention is for the kingdom of God. And you know what? I'm not responding out of my hurt. I'm not responding just because I'm, frustrated and just got to do something or, you know, I'm being arrogant. But the reality is, if you love God and you love people and you stand for truth against evil, you will not be interpreted in that moment as being nice. For example, I guarantee you, guarantee you, if you ask any of my children, when I confronted sin in their life, if they thought in that moment that I was being nice, 
Now, hopefully I wasn't being unloving or being a jerk, but I, I don't think they would accuse me of being nice. Or listen, when, when people have come against my family or sin was coming into my family through someone, or I'm looking to protect them, listen, in that moment, I am not going to be accused of being nice. Hopefully not unloving, but being direct, being clear, but nice, not in the mix. Over the years, um, I've had abundant confrontations in the church. In fact, my, my pastor told me, uh, to, he just before I came into the ministry, he says, just be ready. Ministry is two-thirds confrontation, one-third encouragement. And, and he's been right. But I've had many, many confrontations, many things that I've had to press into, protecting this church, listen, from false teachers, from unrepentant people, from people who, frankly, were just doing evil in our body. I could give you numerous examples, but let me give you one. In the early years, when I first came, there was a leader in the church who was, uh, he molested children. And it happened to be his own children. And I can tell you that my first conversation with him was not nice. Listen, I, I wasn't unloving. I was direct. I was dead serious. And listen, he was unrepentant. And I did report him, and he did go to jail. But he teaches at a different church now. The last confrontation I had was someone who wanted to be on this stage. And, you know, I just spoke with them in love, and I just said, hey, listen, you know, you're, you have some passive-aggressive issues. You, you tend to manipulate and use people. You, you have some areas that, that we need to work on before you're really ready for that. And their response to me was this, I've never had a pastor talk to me that way before. And so my response back to them was, well, maybe that's the problem. And so they left, and they're on the stage in a town just next to ours. Well, why? Because somehow we think the church is about pleasing people. Somehow we think that being a Christian is being nice, and that's the expectation. And listen, even more so, that's the expectation of what a pastor is supposed to do and, and a pastor's wife is supposed to do. And I would just submit to you, that is not being loving. And that is not being like Jesus. At best, it's being cowardly. And Jesus says in Revelation 21, along with the sexually immoral, the cowardly will be in the lake of fire. Verse 47. And he, that, that is Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. That is, you know, once the temple was cleansed. Once the temple was set in order, then ministry could happen. And so that's kind of the same with us as well. Again, we don't go to a physical temple. We are the temple. God dwells within us. But let me ask us tonight, 
Have you allowed any tables to be set up in your temple? Listen, that is hindering ministry to you as well as ministry through you. You know, maybe you dealt with it a few years ago, but somehow you've allowed it to come back in and to be set up in your temple. And there it is in your heart where Jesus himself wants to dwell on his throne uncontested. And so listen, I would invite us tonight, myself included, to clean out the temple, to repent. Listen, you, you know, if you know the truth, where, where the truth reigns, listen, there's life and freedom and whatever table that you've set up there that you think is going to give you something, it only brings separation and death. It only cuts you off from the power and the promises of God. So repent tonight. Clean out your temple. Allow Jesus to dwell there fully. Allow him and his presence to be in you fully. Allow him to dwell in your mind and in your spirit so that you are fulfilled to the fullness of God. We can be that way. Verse 47, again. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to what? Destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. That is, you know, God was moving on the hearts of people But at the very same time, the enemy was seeking to destroy people and what God was doing. And listen, our journey is exactly the same, right? Right? Okay. (laughs) Life is like that. I've said this before, and perhaps you remember this illustration, but life is like a railroad track, you know? One rail is positive. One rail, we we see where God is moving and and God's favor is flowing. We see God's blessing and it's good. And the other rail is the negative. And we see the enemy at work and he's destroying and he's pushing his dark agenda and he's discouraging and tearing down. and, And both rails run parallel at the same time in our lives. They're always both there. And so we have to make a very intentional choice to dwell on the good. Listen, our minds have to dwell on God's truth, on what is noble, on what is right, on what is pure. 
Listen, we, we have to address the evil. We have to be aware of the evil. We have to deal with it where we can. But, but where we stay, where we dwell, where we fix ourselves and stay rooted and sheltered and refused is over here in God's goodness, in God's truth, in God's beauty, in God's life, in God's peace. Philippians 4.8, take a look on the screen with me, says this. How does it begin? Finally, brothers. Finally, brothers. Listen, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence that you can see at all, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen, that's how we survive in a toxic culture. We have to be intentional about where we dwell. It doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand. We don't hear that over there. We can't stay there. We got to dwell over here. And so, listen, that means we got to turn our phone off once in a while. Phone's a good thing. I love my phone. I love what it does. I'm not against it, but it's toxic. I got to dwell somewhere else. If I want to feel God's peace, if I want to feel His power, if I want to feel His life, I got to come here. I can't find it on TikTok. I can't find it on YouTube. I can't find it on Twitter. It's not there. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and, and preaching the gospel. Now, take note here that teaching and preaching was central to Jesus' ministry. And so listen, that's why it's central to our ministry here as well. And I think, a side note, by the way, that you need to have a healthy balance between preaching and teaching. And, and that healthy balance is seen in, in Jesus. That is, if you just have preaching, then you just get people fired up. <laughs> you, you move people, but you don't transform them. You, you need teaching as well so that they're rooted in their faith so that they get instructions so they know why they're doing something, so they know how they're going to do something. But you can't just have instruction because if they can parse all the Greek verbs, but they don't have any love of God, they don't have any passion for God, then that's dead information. And so what we need is a healthy balance between Preaching and teaching, and you know the best way to have a healthy balance between preaching and teaching is preach through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, because if you do that, then the, then the Bible just unfolds that way. Some passages, you're, you're, you're going to be preaching more passion. The other passages, it's going to be a little bit more instructive. It's going to give you a little bit more information. So that's why we do it the way we do it here. It goes on. Verse 1, again. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, 
the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. That is Jesus' teaching and preaching here and this group of religious elders, they come up and interrupt them. Just like if there was a group of people that came in here right now and interrupted. And he said, listen, they're, they're hot, they're fired up. You know, who do you think you are? What who in the world are you to come in and overturn our tables and drive people out? And so Jesus responds, verse 2 again. Tell us by what authority you do these things or, or who it is that gave you this authority. Now, it's interesting. We know we've been studying the gospel. Jesus has demonstrated his authority over and over again throughout his entire ministry. And the chief priests have dogged him the entire time. They know where he's gotten his authority. But Jesus has shown his authority over nature. You know, in John 2, when he changed water to wine, or in John 6, where he multiplied the fishes and loaves and fed the 5,000, or Matthew 14, where he walked on water, or Mark 4, where he caused the, the storm to cease. He's demonstrated his authority to forgive sins on earth. In Luke chapter 5, you remember Jesus was teaching and preaching in, in Peter's house, and he's, he's teaching people, he's healing people, and all of a sudden, Peter's roof gets torn off. And, and, and this paralyzed man's buddies are, are, are lifting him down into the presence of Jesus. And, and as the guy comes down, Jesus says, you know, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders are, are thinking to themselves, you know, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so in Luke 5, 24, he says this. Take a look on the screen. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus had authority to forgive sins. We also see there, obviously, he had the authority over sickness and disease. And Jesus healed multitudes of people. We've seen that throughout the Gospels. Jesus demonstrated he had authority over the demonic forces. In Luke chapter 4, he healed a man who had a demon. In Luke chapter 4, verse 26, he says this, And they were all amazed and astonished. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. And what? They come out. He demonstrated his authority over life and death. In John 10, 18, he's speaking of his life. He said, uh, no one takes it from me. I, I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. 
That is, Jesus demonstrated his authority over and over again, that his authority was from the Father, that his authority was from heaven. It was clear. It was evident. The scribes, the Pharisees, the elders of that time, they just didn't want to accept it. And they were looking to shame Jesus in this moment. And so this is what Jesus says back to them. Verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? That is, Jesus knows what they're up to, and so he answers their question with a question. (laughs) And in so doing, he puts them on the horns of a dilemma, because here's the deal. The people believed in the ministry of John. They believed that the ministry of John was from God. And the ministry of John had one and only one focus. And that focus was Jesus. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Repent and believe in Jesus. That was his only message. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. And so what are these religious leaders going to say here? It says in verse 5, and they discovered it, uh, they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. So the religious leaders know that however they answer this, they're going to be wrong. And so if they say, you know, John's ministry was from heaven, they know that Jesus is going to say back, hey, well, then why didn't you believe John's message? That, that I am the Messiah, and why didn't you repent? And if they say that John's ministry is from man, they know that all the people that they're trying to sway away from Jesus are going to be opposed to them. And so they lie. They just say, well, yeah, yeah, we don't know. Because that was the most politically expedient answer that they could give. That is, these leaders were not concerned about the truth. These leaders were not concerned about what was best for the people that they were supposed to shepherd. They only cared about consolidating more money and more power for themselves. And I would just say to us, not much has changed, right? Verse 8, and Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That is when Jesus allowed them to show themselves to be insincere seekers, he refused to answer them. And that's instructive to us as well, you know? That is, Jesus was unbelievably compassionate, unbelievably patient with a sincere seeker. Listen, God doesn't 
demand perfection. If, if we're moving towards him, he is unbelievably patient and compassionate. But when it came to cynics and manipulators, he didn't play their game. And listen, we shouldn't either. We're back to not being just nice. We shouldn't either. That is, there does come a time, and listen, it takes wisdom and discernment, but listen, maturity requires wisdom and discernment to assess those in our life. There, there comes a time where, listen, you need to not deal with insincere seekers. You need to create some healthy boundaries with people who are truly not willing to change. No matter what they say, <laughs> because they'll say a lot, no matter what image they, they try to project. Because listen, your time is too valuable. And the mission of the kingdom of God is too important for us to be sidelined by people who truly do not want to change. And Jesus is just allowing them to show themselves for who they really are. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.